Welcome to Call and Shots. Uh, thanks, folks, for joining me um, today. On is it was the Wednesday before Thanksgiving. It's it is cold and it snowed in Milwaukee and it's everything is terrible. Except everything is not terrible in Washington, where the surging Wizards mm. have won four in a row. Uh, I'm joined by uh, a- a- editor at the Athletic, uh, Mike Prada, who's also got a new book that has just been released, and we're going to talk about that too. But as a long-suffering, because there's no other kind, uh, mm-hmm. Wizards fan, I wanted to talk to you about what's going on with the Wizards. Yeah, th- thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, it's uh, been four surprisingly exciting games with Bradley Beal injured. That gets me to... So, Wizards are 8-6. Are and six. Mm-hmm. They are firmly in, in the playoff hunt. Um they're doing it with a, with a negative net rating, uh, a mediocre offense, pretty good defense over the season, which in and of itself is, is weird to me. And I, so I just look at the roster, and especially with players out, how are they doing this? Well, I guess it's uh, there's a narrative-based, I hate that word, but there's sort of a storytelling arc to this recent stretch. And then there is a sort of cold, hard sustainability question <laughs> that is like you're the narrative killer that you love to do. I'm just kidding. I, I, but you know I, what I mean? I do. I do. I love it. I'm, you I love I, it. I hunt narratives. So let's hunt this narrative for you. The four game winning streak that they are on coincides roughly with the insertion of during a Memphis game on the road that they were getting their butts kicked at, I think, the game before, they put G League call-up Jordan Goodwin into the game, and Jordan Goodwin proceeds to bother John Morant, help lead a comeback that ultimately falls short, and he has been a part of the rotation ever since, and they have won every game in his defensive tenacity and his just sort of ability to actually fight has kind of woken the team up a little bit. Uh, and he's kind of been a revelation and, you know, you sort of, in much the same way, I would say like kind of when Jose Alvarado comes in, like the Pelicans sort of, the game changes just through his energy and his defensive pressure on the ball. The same thing kind of happens to them. And he's been getting this playing time and I think his net rating is super good. And, you know, they seem to be playing with more fight. That's the narrative perspective. Uh, it sort of coincides with this moment that Jordan Goodwin comes riding in to save the season. The perhaps less um, clean-cut way to put it is that they've shot 44% from three over their last three games, including 16-36 and 19-40 in their last two, and it's a hot streak. That will inevitably fade. So I guess the question is, which is which? Uh, There is sort of... um, there's sort of kind of a blending of the two. I mean, it's pretty clear, I think, that something that Jordan Goodwin has provided has woken up this team to some degree. He has provided something surprisingly that they needed, and, you know, he has filled that role. It's also probably true that they're probably shooting a little bit over their heads right now. So I guess the question is, you know, to which degree, what is what? Um, and, yeah, as Charlie said in the chat, he is uh, Goodwin is in your face with these scores. He was in your face to Jordan Clarkson. He was in your face to John Morant. Uh, he was kind of in your face to Charlotte. Uh, Memphis didn't have Morant the second time, but he was kind of in the face of and you know Luca in a little bit of time, you know, in the Dallas game and just yeah, there's something happening, but I don't know if it's transformative the way that it has been. 
I remember Tyus Jones had a really rough game recently. Was that was that was that against the Wizards? And I mean, that's not to not to play into the narrative. Um, uh, oh no, you no, oh oh, you're playing into the narrative. Yeah, I know. So let me. So I think that seven um, of eighteen. I don't know if that's the yeah, game you're thinking of. The the it's you know there's there's a, there's one player that has success of a type. You know, like Jose Alvarado's a good player, and. Uh, so anyone who kind of vaguely resembles them in style gets compared. Um, I think that um, Alvarado's most known for his peskiness, but he's also a a very competent offensive player. Mm-hmm. Uh, is, has Goodwin been bringing that, or is it just the kind of thing where he's been like a like oh well he's a he, this is a G League guy who's like really going hard on defense and is uh, and maybe the kind of thing that will peter out as teams kind of start to scheme for him a little bit yeah i think his offense has been uh useful i mean i wouldn't say that i, I think the comparison to alvarado is more in terms of like kind of the type of game changing that he does I, I agree he's not as like kind of great on the ball as alvarado like alvarado is really tricky you know scoring and pick and roll he's improving shooter go is probably a little bit better off the ball um he's kind of plays maybe like, imagine if DeLon Wright was, like, a slightly better shooter. Like, that's probably what Jordan Goodwin has been. And he has been shooting the ball pretty well and being a pretty solid secondary playmaker, making critical decisions. Similarly, though, he's not necessarily, like, as obviously in your face as Alvarado is. He's kind of more just a little tougher on the ball. He's a little more in passing lanes, kind of more making these solid plays. And, you know, I, I sort of look at what he's doing as it's obviously great what uh, Jordan Goodwin is doing on both ends and the degree to which that he's kind of playing this, this role and whatever you want to say about his similarity and whatever, but it also sort of illustrates what they, the Wizards didn't have as much as what he is adding. Like he stands out because this is what they've been missing. And ideally it shouldn't take a G leaguer to kind of supply these sorts of skills, but because he has them, he just sort of, fills a void that they don't they never had the rest particularly after delon Wright got injured in the third game so yeah i don't think that he's like anything spectacular uh on any of this but they they sort of needed a solid kind of combo guard they their only other guards really are monte Morris, so i don't think it's had a particularly great start to the year and Wright, who's injured so it was like they sort of crying out for this type of player and he's kind of answered the call and it's galvanized some of the other players on the team so I think that 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 because narrative reasons, it seems like like Goodwin is the guy that people are getting focused on. Um, it seems to me from the 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 times I've checked down the Wizards that the play of Christoph Porzingis has probably really oh yeah, been, yeah, yeah. really been a, a bigger. I mean, like you, you always worry because there's there was times even in Dallas, like, oh, he looks pretty good physically, and then he'd mm-hmm. his ankle and 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 be you know, not good again for three months. Um, but it certainly seems like we're in a good moment, a good Porzingis moment right now. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think if you look at the season as a whole, I mean, that's the most positive development. Um, you know, to zoom out beyond just this little four-game stretch. Uh, he has been, I mean, you really can't ask more from him at this point. I mean, he's only missed one game. Uh, he's shooting the ball much better from three. He's making shots on switches like a lot more often than he used to. He's rolling well. And I think the biggest thing outside of his offense, which is its own kind of quality because 
he's opening the floor for other people. I mean, their offense is like 15 points worse when he's out off the floor. Like, they just don't have a hub, you know, or enough space with him out there, like without him out there. I mean, Daniel Gafford, until a recent stretch, has been really poor this year. But defensively, he's held up pretty well in terms of certainly the rim protection. I think it's very interesting to look at sort of their defensive relative success. They are essentially allowing the right types of shots because they are keeping him at the rim for the most part. And he has done a pretty good job there and he's held up pretty well. Uh, so that's, I think, probably the most encouraging thing because that's the real question I'm forcing is, is other than health is, okay, so he can score a lot of the times. He can make a lot of shots. He can be a matchup nightmare for traditional centers at least, but can he hold up on the other end? And so far, like it's gone better than expected. So when you combine that with just the ability of Porzingis to kind of through his ability to space the floor and kind of be a hub that pulls people away from the basket and opens up space, uh, he's been about everything that they could have hoped for. Um, And so in the bigger picture, that's – I mean, he's got to be an all-star at this point. I think bigger picture, that was their best chance to be decent this year was if Porzingis could stay healthy and play at the level that he's shown – for slight flashes in Dallas, but never for long enough. And he is doing that absolutely right now. So there's there's uh, there's a a positive and a negative. There there is is a narrative killer that I have to is is some of the you, you talk about allowing the right shots. Some of that is Washington is one of those. Is, yeah, is second to Golden State maybe in being the arena where this is this is something that that's been kind of percolating around in like stat circles for the last couple of years is looking at arenas where the score for whatever reason like on the shots that are kind of the gray area between like a floater and uh and a yeah. at the rim there's some places that that it's relatively neutral some places where they're very stingy some places they're very generous golden state is the stingiest uh washington's right there and so that yeah that does that does kind of screw with the, with like the rim attempt stats. However, For sure. However, For sure. even with that, I would say that that the combination of basically at this point they're playing either Porzingis or Gafford. Um, yeah. Whatever else you think of Gafford, he can protect the rim. Um, so they are getting <laughs> theoretically. No, I think he's. I think for for his career, he has been. You know. Okay. Player, players do not make shots at the basket when he's around. Yeah, the problem is that he's not around as much as he should be. That's, I mean, <laughs> yes. Sorry, but, he really frustrates the hell out of me, so yeah. I'm probably a little more negative on him than uh, the general public. The point I'm getting at is they do have, like, 48 minutes of at least competent and probably more than rim protection between those two. And that's, you know, not a terrible place to start a defense from, even if they have, I would say relatively limited perimeter defenders? Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, and, and although slightly less limited now that both, not only Jordan Goodwin is in the part of the picture, but I think that Denny Avdia has played a lot better recently, and he has, I think, stepped it up, and I think he's starting to find his way, and that's really encouraging. But yes, in general, it's not the most defensive to talented team. The one thing I'll say about the uh, stat padding, though, is if you look at what's kind of funny about watching the Wizards and it harkens back to something you say all the time, which is the map is not the territory. Am I butchering that phrase? Uh, yeah, the map is not territory. If you sort of look at where teams set up against them and where the players are, they all seem to be away from the basket. Like they play a very modern s like five out, like spread out style. 
But their shot charts, they basically, a lot for both teams, they are the most retrograde shot charts, both for offense and defense, because they never get to the rim themselves or they don't shoot enough threes. They shoot a lot of mid-range shots, and they, they allow their opponents to do the same. So maybe the Wizards are just sort of stingy on both ends as scorekeepers. <laughs> but I feel like that's kind of the funny thing about how they act, is that if you look at a shot chart, they look very sub-modern. But if you sort of watch the play, I keep thinking, like, oh, it's actually kind of clever that they use Porzingis to open the floor up. But that's the thing. The map's not the territory. I mean, it's both things can be true. That He's probably opening up the floor, but who's he opening up for? Especially and where are they going, I suppose, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's not, they don't have, you know, with, with Beal out, they do not have a drinkster, I think it's mm-hmm. what um, I say. Also, I think, I, uh, just, just when you started talking about Goodwin and, and Avdi has been good defensively, and I think that really over the last couple, really since his last year with the Lakers, I think Kyle Kuzma's mm-hmm. really improved on that end. So it's probably, For sure. it's probably selling their defensive talent a little short, just I mean, I, thinking about it. It is, but also, like, it's not. I mean, we didn't know what Avia was coming of the year. He's still very inconsistent uh, with fouling. And, like, I think Kuzma's defense was better last year. I think he's had some rougher stretches this year. But, yeah, I mean, but part of it, though, is, is it is a strategy because they are very – I would say their scheme is pretty inflexible. Like, they're pretty much a drop team almost exclusively with Porzingis. Uh, they maybe get a little more aggressive with Gafford. I almost wish they get more aggressive with Gafford because I think the less he has to think, the better. Like, I kind of like him in, like, just a hyperactive scheme. But because of that, now they also have guys like Good- Goodwin is a pretty good, like, drop defender on the other side of it. You know, he's probably – he's obviously not Drew Holiday. He's sort of diet, diet Drew Holiday, but it's kind of that style of defender. For the first time in a while, I think – the defenders on the perimeter are starting to line up with the strategy of the basket. And I think that's one reason why they're overachieving as a defense right now. So what does this all look like longer term? And especially when, when Bradley Beal comes back, is it, I mean, you don't want to say it's, it's subtraction by addition, but we've, we have seen it before where a team just suddenly has better balance without better players on the floor. And I don't think, I don't. I, 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 it, it's hard for me to say they're better, although he hasn't. Beal hasn't had his best start to the season either. But do they lose some of the the you know the narrative identity that they've created for themselves? Yeah, I mean, I think it. It's always a question. I don't think so, because but also partially because I don't think they're as good as they've shown in the last couple of games, particularly offensively. Uh, and also, I would say that Beal has worked harder defensively and has done better at the team stuff than he did in the past. It's just his number. For, I guess he just isn't a good three-point shooter anymore. Like, this has been, like, so many years where he just hasn't shot great from three, and that's just the reality. Um, and I, he would mostly be replacing, I think, Corey Kispert in the rotation rather than uh, Jordan Goodwin. So, I mean, we, like, for example, we haven't really seen, like, a whole lot of Beal with Goodwin in the rotation. Um, and I think they've also, the Avdia ob- improving has sort of clarified some of those slots as well. Like, there was a period where Avdia got put back on the bench and Anthony Gill was starting to juice up the offense. And I don't think that really worked. And I mean, that's a weird phrase just to say. It is, yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, like... 
where is Will Barton? When is Will Barton playing? I think he's been a little erratic. I don't love the Morris Beal Barton trio together. I think there's a defensive issues, and so Avdia playing better kind of clarifies that, clarifies Rui Hachimura's role as a bench player, and so maybe you can just plug Beal right back into that, and it is it fits. So, but I mean. They're a pretty average team. They're eight and six with a slightly negative point differential. I suspect they'll be about this level. The thing that I think is most encouraging is Juan Porzingis is playing better. And I, I would say that the Beal Porzingis chemistry in the two man game has been pretty strong. And if they can kind of fill in enough of the gaps around that, they might be able to come out on the right side of the 41 win ledger. And that would be a successful season. Sure. I mean, by the sort of Leon well, yeah. standard of. Of success, um, right? But, I mean, we always have to say that, right? Right. Um, <laughs> la- last Wizards question, and then I think I want to get to the book. Is you mentioned Rui Hachimura, and um, he's, I mean, sort of been a player that have been waiting on for a while, and I don't, I still like, what is he as an NBA player? Yeah, I mean, it's it's a great question. Um, in some ways, again, I always think of Avdia and Hachimura as kind of mirror images of each other uh, in terms of they have the skill sets that the other doesn't have. And right now I feel like Avdia is starting to find his way. And in some ways, Ruri has been kind of repurposed into a very, very specific bench scorer who is told you just can be aggressive in your minutes, look for your shot, don't worry about passing your defense, we'll just take you out if like you lose your effectiveness. A destitute man's Marcus Morris. Yeah, kind of. Um, yeah, so Jabari Parker in his game is actually a pretty good comparison, I would say. Um, but it, it is – the one thing I will say about Rui that I am encouraged by is that there was a period in his career where he was this player, but, like, he was taking mid-range shots or not able to get by his man. At the very least, I would say now he is getting to the basket. He is using his physicality. He is exploding three players. He is grabbing and going. Uh, he's taking more threes and making more threes. Like – the actual parts of his game that are supposed to work are actually working. And it's just the parts that don't work that don't work. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, like at least like he's kind of realized the player, he's starting to find the player type he could be. Um, and if Optia is playing well as a starter and then you take him out early and put in Rui for the scoring and then it sort of starts to work itself out. Um, and I think that's good for both players long-term, but. Yeah, I wouldn't say that like Rui is like kind of a core player at this point. I do think that he's being channeled a little bit more effectively into the type of role that he should have. I mean, my my worry with him remains that he just he his game does not get him anything easy. He's, he doesn't he doesn't get to the he doesn't get to the line much. Doesn't shoot much from three, and so like yes, he's been a a solid mid range player for his career, but I think. In yeah. today's NBA, solid for mid-range and nothing else isn't actually a very good player. Nudging in the right direction, I would say. I'm, I'm looking up exactly how many threes he's attempting, but I, I think that at least this year... He took, he, took, he took them more often last year. Okay, so he's getting the rim. Maybe he's getting the rim more this year. I, I feel like he's been more decisive and more attacking, less like dancing around, although there is still some of that. Um so it's. I think it's. You're right. Naturally, it is not an effective player, but I do think it's starting to 
Like, I would get frustrated. I'd be like, yo, why can't you get by anyone? This is supposed to be what you're good at. Like, he's at least getting by people now. Sure. He's, just, he's still impassable. <laughs> and, um, sure. I would like to see that. Uh, oh, yeah. It's one of those things where, like, the numbers are not proving what I thought they did. This happens a lot. I mean, it's it, it, he's getting to the rim more, but not getting more, not getting to the line more, and not finishing as well, which is a very like a weird, you know, combine that with kind of the weird Washington scorekeeping and the amount of time he's missed. So it's possible that he got like some weird home road balances. makes it It makes it hard to evaluate just from a numerical perspective. Um, yeah, but he's definitely being channeled. Like, I don't think they're counting on him the same way as, like, this is a core guy in our piece anymore. Like, I do think that Avdi has pretty clearly won that starting job. At least I hope so, because I think he fits in really well with the starters. And Ruri is very clearly now becoming just sort of the, the guy you turn on if he's on and the guy you just don't play if he's not. Are we going to – so speaking of recent Wizards picks, are we going to hear from this year's first-round pick at any point? Nope. I have no idea. I have to say, like, Jordan Goodwin's kind of doing the things that Johnny Davis was drafted to do. I'm just going to say it. It's probably a pretty good sign if you if a guy you signed from the G League does the things you were expecting your lottery pay. Anyway. Um, yeah, no. It, I, 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 I didn't love the pick at the time, and there's been nothing that's, that's happened since that has made me like it more. Um, yeah. I mean, one thing that's definitely – the case as well is just it's nice that you can just sort of send this sounds like a demotion but that dude definitely does need the g league the same way james wiseman needs the g league you know and so there is hope where if you just send him down they can restore their confidence because the game just moves way too fast for him and maybe playing in the g league will fix that and maybe it doesn't but at least that avenue is there now and when it wasn't 10 years ago i'll take an unprovoked shot and say just like uh, james wiseman had just hasn't played enough basketball uh John uh, Davis was at Wisconsin, so he hasn't played enough actual basketball. <laughs> Should have known that one before they picked him. Yeah, well, you know, I can. Yeah, I, it gets me in trouble, but I'm on the Marquette side of the line, so I don't care. Um, I don't think you're wrong. <laughs> um, so there's, there's maybe we're talking about like Hachimura as a modern player, and he's he's maybe a a player type who is frankly more valued 15 years ago and that's my very awkward transition to talking about your <laughs> yeah um it's so probably all, congratulations thank you um, it's, uh, from one author to another yeah it does yeah I, I i love seeing when i go onto the amazon page like frequently bought together and i see this book in your book i i would imagine that our mutual publisher li- likes to see that as well yeah yeah so I had you on kind of late in the spring when you were just finishing up when I had seen kind of a galleys of the book. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, for people who didn't hear that or, or people who haven't read it yet, just, you know, give me the uh, thesis of the book and then we can start to talk about. It. Yeah, the the court, the thesis is essentially the court uh, by virtue of, you know, the three point revolution essentially doubled in size in terms of where players are standing and how plays start. So for the longest time, because three, the three-point shot was a less frequent thing and because it was right on top of the line, the surface area of the typical possession was, you know, what, like 23 by whatever the width of the court is, 50. Uh, and so that just you were playing in a phone booth compared to what we have now, and that changed over the course of like eight years. And so when you 
double the size of the floor and you don't add more players to fill it, everything changes. And I don't think we've really reckoned with that fact. And so the book is really about, yes, it's about three-pointers and kind of why it took so long to get to the point where we're shoot, we're occupying these spaces on the floor. But it's really about what does it mean for every fabric of the game, all the way down from very basic questions like what a superstar does to very specific ones like kind of defensive schemes. What does it mean for the sport when you double the playing servers, but you don't have more people to fill it? How does that change everything? And I think that's kind of the the, the thesis of it. That, Again, very much inspired by like that great phrase you always use, the, you know, the map is not the territory. I feel like we've been talking about this all wrong for a long time in terms of shot charts, but the real thing that's changed is where players are moving and standing to. And that is a much more profound change than I think what has been reported. And so that really inspired me to kind of write the book as like a, almost a reintroduction to how basketball works now and how it's changed very basic things about the game that we've taken for granted. I like the, that you 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 made the point of both where players are standing and where they're moving because I think that that bit of movement is what we lose when we kind of examine game via shot chart. Mm -hmm. That's the like that's the end point, but like a guy a, a guy spotting up for a corner three and a guy coming off a hammer screen and a guy coming off of a pin in, like those are very different things, very different shots, very different ways that those things happen. Um, yeah. And I, I think the best illustration of this is, um, which I talked in the book in, I think, chapter eight. And you will know this because I don't remember if you were on the working for the Bucks at the time, but the whole thing about their like square boxes on the court that Mike Budenholzer put together, uh, there was this notion that like it trapped players in the box, like they can't move from there. Uh, but really, that was never the intention of the boxes. They were like sort of landmarks. And I think now we're starting to realize that like, people move between the boxes, move to slightly different places. It's sort of, there's like a choreography to the spacing of the game now that, you know, when you put tape boxes on a floor and just sort of take a picture of it, you don't really appreciate. And in some cases, the players don't appreciate or the analysts don't appreciate. And it, now I think we hopefully understand that it, you really do lose something by just taking a snapshot there. You know, it's a great illustration of what you're talking about. Although I will say that the, that you know putting the putting a line, putting a square, putting a shape on the court, like it does affect perception. I mean, two examples exactly, yeah, is, yeah, is uh, when when Michael Beasley was with the Bucks when I was there, we we he and I talked about this a lot, and and just like you know from his skill set standpoint, he should have been a good three point shooter, but the the like and if if he if he was kind of just out on the court and there was like a high school line and he shot from like five feet behind the line, he would just shoot it. But when now that like with that line there, that line would be, would, would almost be a barrier. It's like, Oh, the line's there. I don't know what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. it, it just because, you know, it, it, had, it hadn't been a thing for him in his kind of formative years as a player. Um, and yeah. the, the other example is, you know, the, my, I, I visited my, my old, my old college and that they have a, a first year coach um, who had been a long time assistant and he, they were, they were, you know, trying to incorporate some of that, like, you know, get to these spots and play from there. And the degree to which, like, the, the arc, the line, like, was serving, the arc was serving as like a magnet to them. Mm -hmm. like, he's trying to instill some, like, go and catch principles. And it's like, every player is, is starting from, like, one, like, his toes on the line. It's just like, well, 
No, you can back up and get a running start. You can still shoot a three if they back off of you, or you can actually get a... But you're, by starting, like, right there, you're shrinking the court for the defense almost. Yeah. Yeah, it reminds me of the great Mike, this great Mike D'Antoni quote I use in the book that um, our SB Nation's Christian Winfield at the time back in the day got uh, that year that they started shooting threes all the time. I think it was 2017. Hey, the line is there. It doesn't mean you have to stand on it. <laughs> and it was just sort of like a very Mike D'Antoni matter-of-fact way of stating the point you're just describing. Right. And it's just playing with the imagination to, to like, not see that as a, as a, uh, as a guardrail. Yeah, um, I want to ask it a, sort of a, a tangential question. I had I had uh, I was talking with a, with an NBA assistant uh, recently, and it wasn't exactly a back in my day kind of. It was someone who's a former player, but it, but he thought that sort of the the spacing out and um, I don't know ritualization of kind of three and D has made a lot of players less versatile in terms of of mm-hmm. their ability to play with the ball to make decisions. And I like I hadn't I hadn't I hadn't really considered that because I've you and I have talked about this before about how like the skill level of players but how much of that skill level is it might just be very rote in like oh pick and roll here look there throw the ball mm-hmm. and, and get reps at that. I do you think there's anything to that, or is was he just maybe being a little bit of a of a thing? Things were great. With that <laughs> well, I, I I think there is something to it. Um, in some ways, like what the another way to tell the story of the last eight years is through this idea of when does something go from rote memorization to feel or to like kind of playing spontaneously. Um, at what point are the boxes actually boxes? And at what point are the boxes landmarks? And I think um, that's been a challenge psychologically for the whole league to, I think, work its way around. You know, I love that he used the phrase 3 and D because I am of the opinion that the phrase 3 and D is the most, I think I in a podcast I was on earlier, I said it's like the vine of NBA phrases because it just sort of, it had its heyday for about like two years where it like really made sense. And right, and all of a sudden, it kind of doesn't anymore. Like even the guys we consider three and D don't just three and D. You know what I mean? Like Mikhail, just to use like Mikhail Bridges as an example, that dude never stops running, and he's like adding way more to his game. But you still have people call him a three and D player. Um, so that's something that just like rapidly has transformed, even of over the last like five years. Um, but it is, it, you know. It is an interesting kind of thought. I, I think when he's sort of in a larger context, one of the the thrust of the book is very much the kind of art versus science battle, Cold War, Holy War between the Golden State movement style and Houston's more kind of prosaic, programmatic, like kind of you stand in certain places and watch. I would say industrial. Industrial, yeah. I, I, I hesitate to call it art versus science, but it has a similar feel, I would say, like kind of maybe, yeah, industrial versus like kind of the more free-flowing. And, you know, you could argue that Golden State won that battle, but I would argue that the two, the fact that the two teams had this battle got everybody else to kind of adopt the best of all of both of them. 
to see like kind of you can start from certain standing positions but and there may be certain patterns to where you move but you still got to do the moving and it's the act of the moving that kind of really makes it all happen and so you you're right i think the coach is right that you know you can foster a sense of kind of program programmaticism I can't speak, you know, that word by saying like, you're just, all you do is shoot threes and play defense. Um, but I think the real trick and the, the thing that I think the league is starting to get to really over the last eight years is they wrestle with this. Now there is much more of a choreography to the types of movements that happen. There is a lot of movement, but to order in order to move structurally smartly, you know, that is what facilitates spontaneity. I would argue. Um, so, yeah, I think I think that's. I almost think that what he's saying would have been more relevant, like maybe four, three or four years ago, than it is right now. But maybe I'm like sort of glorifying the current state of the game versus the bubble state of the game. Sure. I mean, like it's also yeah. like sort of from like a as a coach, you're trying to activate your goal as a coach is different than your goal as an analyst. And I think as a, your goal as an analyst is sort of broadly explain what is happening and so in broad strokes like a player may be a three and d player but as a coach you're trying to get that player to be more than a three and d player or you're you're trying to improve that player so i can understand i think it's just sort of a slightly different perspective on the whole thing sure um yeah another big part of it is um changing in of 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 kind of the the types of players Mm -hmm. that are i mean you know I think we, the, you know, the death of the post game and why does everyone want to face the basket and stuff like that. And that's, I think, pretty multi-causal. How much of that do you get into in, in the book in terms of the, of, of like the whys? That, and it's not just because it, you know, it's one of those things like you give, you, you say that, that I killed the post-up game. I being, you know, a, a, a proxy for the like quote-unquote animal. No, you, you killed the post-up game. Yeah. Yeah, I, you and you alone. <laughs> yeah, but we killed the post-up game. It's like, okay, well, what else can we do? I mean, we would have done a lot yeah. of other things. Like, but it's, so it's sort of giving us way too much power and credit or blame, what have you. Um, so, you know. I'm, the whole I, book I, is I, about the whys in a lot of ways. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I, I think, yeah. It, the last words of the book are essentially like for, uh, we're all trying to get to the same places. What has changed is the how we get there. And that the means can always change and change back depending on rules and structures and whatever. And, you know, one of the things that I think we that's very, if you want to talk about post-ups in particular, one, I think they're kind of coming back in the sense of you're no longer getting the, like, Shaquille O'Neal sets up on the block as, like, you know, Nick Anderson throws the entry pass and stands there for five seconds, and he gets to back down and know that somebody must either double team or play straight up, and there's no, like, there's not a whole lot of complexity in what he has to read in terms of the other four defenders. That's gone. But I do think you're getting a lot more, like, sort of quick duckins and, like, it's a quick entry pass and a quick turnaround type of thing against switches. Like I think that's a much bigger deal now than it was two years ago. But everyone knows I love a good duck in. Yeah, and I, I think you're seeing like kind of different players ducking on different players now. It's not just, you know, it's not just the. It's like I think I describe it as like it's not just big on big. It's like big on small, or really, it's small on smaller, <laughs> um, in a lot of ways. So yeah, I, I do think that like 
all these sorts of things, the post-up, the three-point shot, they're just means to a different end. And the end is let's try to create the best shots we can. And I think we know now that, I mean, shots at the rim are still the most valuable, but the question is, do you get the shots at the rim by, by ramming yourself in to get there? Or do you get there by abdicating the space and charging it? I mean, that's kind of the big change that has occurred over the last eight years. And if you want to say the death of the post game, it kind of goes by that theory. It's like if we all abdicate the space and then one player tries to charge it, like it's just he has much more room to go. And whether that charges, he's rolling on a pick and roll, he's attacking off the dribble, or even he's cutting. You know, that's the structure that most stresses the defense out and gets us to the place we want to go anyway. It's, it's essentially the, is the question, answering the question that, that would you rather be a dot or a vector? A vector, like, not to be, I guess, like, they, they get super nerdy about it. But I was going to say, like, yeah, I, I'm, like, nodding here and be like, yeah. yes, it's exactly what it, Yeah, so I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> it sounds right to me. Okay. Uh, but, yes, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's like a means thing. It's like, how do you get there? And I, I do think that, like, when we focus so much on, like, where's the post-up gone or where is this game gone that it – was that I remember, like, we just sort of missed that. Like, these are all just tools to get to places based on rules. And I want to take a more holistic approach in this book. So in some ways, the why is the whole book in a lot of ways. And I hope that comes through. So last thing is, it seems like, like, where did the post-up go? I think that, like, um, well, defense. Has, but and, there's and, that too, yeah. Yeah, and, and so, uh, you know, if how that's changed and how that's sort of how a lot of like the, what we're talking about is, um, you know, in reaction to, to defenses. Like if a team tried to play 90 style offense now, they'd have an offensive rating like in the nineties at, you know, right. Barring and like, super, yeah. like ridiculous talent. And there's a very, I mean, yeah, they'd be the Lakers, um, <laughs> you know, uh, and there's a very simple reason for that. And that is once you, remove the asymmetry of illegal defense where you either have to double team or play straight up and there's not a lot of room in between the office can go anywhere but the defense can't <laughs> um once you remove that you make the game more of a five-man structure on both ends and it's much more of a, a game of shape you have to create the right shape and conditions and you have to you know structure where you put your five players becomes way more important and that's the simple reason that the post-up has gone away because the post-up is a one, one man battering the other. And then if they get help, then they pass out. Well, the help's there in advance now. That's just how the game is played. So that's why that necessitated why you had to spread out. And that just necessitates why, you know, I talk about this in chapter nine, I believe. Everyone is a better passer and has more spatial awareness now because they have to. Because you have to read, based on the way the illegal defense rules work now, you have to read all 10 players on the court at the same time, all the time. And so naturally you're going to make different passes than you would if you didn't have to do that. And that is very much why the post-up is kind of, let me put it this way, why the, um, the 90s style post-up is no the, longer. The foot in the ground, hand in the air kind of. I'm yeah. on the block, throw it to me. Um, to go, I think maybe to put a point on this, like it, it, it seems like because it's, because the decision to do whatever is more complicated that what you're trying, what the sort of the average player is trying to do has had to be a little simplified. 
Is that simplified interest? Like I think it's actually gone the opposite way. I think it's more complicated. No, I think, but so the each, no matter what you're trying to do, it is more complicated than it used to be. Mm -hmm. Um, But like, okay, how come no one can feed the post? Well, feeding the post is actually kind of a delicate thing. Yeah, it's really hard now. And now, and, and now with you know the you know players shading and digging and 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 all that, like now it's you know okay maybe for the for most players feeding the post is actually like too too risky too complex and so you have to well all right well i can throw a swing pass or i can i can i can drive to the elbow and then and then try to you know draw a second defender and get something going that way and and maybe that's a little little more straightforward than than trying to like feather a pass into the to like the exact spot on this guy's body right the way yeah maybe i'm being the way i would put it is the game moves too fast, ultimately. It is a it is a rhythm game now. It is a fast-paced, you know, people make decisions, boom, boom, boom. It is a .5 mentality game. Except right? for D'Angelo make... Russell. Except oh, for D'Angelo sorry. Russell. Um, it is a game that is kind of played full court. And so, and it makes sense when you think about how open the game is. Like, you have more space to move around. But, like, a great entry pass, sometimes it requires you to stop, pause, like, kind of triangulate the right angle and throw it. And you just don't have time for that anymore, based on the way the game is played. So, in some ways, like, kind of perfect is the enemy of good with every decision now. And I think the way the Spurs ushered in that .5 mentality, uh, where, for those who don't know, like, that essentially is you have .5 seconds to make a decision to dribble, shoot, or pass. It's, I would argue it's essentially like the new triple threat um, because you don't actually pause. And like if you slow down the pace of your game, like it's just that the whole music stops. Because of that, like why would you waste time trying to throw a precise entry pass? Like it just sort of throws the whole thing off. You know, especially if you're a wing player. Like, I mean, you if you actually think about it, like you really have less than 0.5 seconds to make a decision. And, you know, a lot of times it's, you make your decision before you even get the ball, the go and catch maneuver in particular. So I just think that's kind of what's happened is that it's just it, the whole game just moves kind of between beat by beat a lot faster now than it ever did based on kind of how the game has evolved and the pace revolution that, you know, it just doesn't make sense to sort of waste two seconds. It sounds crazy to say waste two seconds, but, you know, waste two seconds, you know, kind of putting the ball over your head, being like, I got to make sure I hit the hand properly uh, on the right angle. Like, it just, it's better to just kind of move faster and make the whole defense shift faster and, you know, swing the ball from side to side and, kind of the process of movement and pace like is what breaks the defense rather than like a single pass. I think, I mean, I, I certainly agree with all that. I think that's a, that's a good spot to end. Why don't you uh, one more time, uh, give the full title of the book and tell folks where they can, uh, where they can get it. Uh, I got to make sure I get the, uh, it's a long subhead that I've realized is perhaps too long. Um, so I, I like it's hard to get, but yeah, spaced out how the NBA's three point revolution changed everything you thought you knew about basketball. Currently, uh, you can buy it anywhere you get your books. I would love it if you got it in, at an independent bookstore, but you can get it anywhere. Um, yeah, it's, I think, it, like, like Amazon said, it is a great compliment to the mid range theory. <laughs> so if you like the mid range theory, it's perhaps the like. 
I would say more schematic, but it's not even really a schematic book. You know, perhaps like kind of the more, if your book was kind of maybe more of the like kind of uh, physical science, it's maybe the social science version of your book. I was going to say I, like almost philosophical. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Um, it is was described as uh, goes well beyond the shot charts to do just that, illustrating how developments and strategy and skill have redrawn the map of the court. That's uh, what someone said about it. I don't know who. Well, that's a, that is a that is a, a, a as good a description as any. Uh, Mike, thanks for joining me. Thanks for uh, uh, thanks for being a Wizards fan, so that I could ask you about them. I'm, I'm, sure, I'm, sure, I'm sure literally that's the first time that, that uh, being a Wizards fan has been thankful rather than thankful. Yeah, seriously. So, um, Thank you for being a Wizards fan like that. <laughs> I feel like more people should be telling me that, <laughs> given, given all that we've suffered. Actually, it is the season of Thanksgiving, and I'm thankful for that. So, there you go. And I'm thankful for you coming on, and I'm thankful for folks listening. You see how I did that. Uh, I will be... Shout out Chris Whitney, indeed. Yeah. I will be back tomorrow with uh, Fred Katz, uh, our athletic colleague, to talk about a team that is not surging, the New York Knickerbockers. Uh, talk to you all then. Thanks a lot.